Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number 67. And today's episode is sponsored by the Mapped Out Money Book Club. So this is something we've been doing for a few months now, and the book we're currently reading is I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. Uh, It's a fantastic book, despite the name sounding sort of like a, I don't know, get-rich-quick sort of clickbaity scheme. But Yeah, I always kind of want to cover up the cover of this book when I'm reading it in (laughs) public. (laughs) Well, it just, it seems so, I don't know, hokey, but it's really a fantastic book, one of my favorite personal finance books I've ever read. And uh, we're going to be meeting on Tuesday, December 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's totally free. And even if you haven't finished the book, we would so love for you to join us if that's something you're interested in. So just go to uh, mappedoutmoney.com forward slash book club to sign up to be notified and get the Zoom link for when we're going to meet. So Nick and I both really like this guy named Craig Ritchie, and he runs a YouTube channel called Team Ritchie, where he does like fitness videos and stuff. Um, but all of his videos, he, he tends to make them funny, and he always throws in these random memes. Yeah, he's in there. hilarious. He's one of the most entertaining uh, YouTubers to yeah, watch. Yeah, he is. And so um, one day, th- it had nothing to do with his video, but he just randomly threw in this meme that says, by replacing your morning coffee with green tea you can lose up to 87% of what little joy you have left in your life. And that just made Nick and I laugh because it's so true. And we've kind of found ourselves doing this with health a little bit because we have been trying to focus on like being healthier and being more active and eating healthier and and all this stuff. And so, you know, we have, we've seen all the fitness people that are like, cut out your coffee for these benefits or whatever. And, you know, you'll kind of have the thought like, should I cut my coffee? But it's like, oh, my gosh, no, I love I look forward to coffee in the morning, like so much if I cut that out, it's true, I will remove 87%. Not that much, but it'll take away a lot of a lot of the enjoyment of the morning for me. So like, no, that's not worth cutting. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of these little tiny little optimizations. And I think it's, it's like human nature to want to look for that hack. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I can just here's like this little bitty hack that maybe I can, you know, do and then all of a sudden I'll achieve whatever it is. Like like cold showers is one in the uh, sort of discipline, self-improvement yeah. space. Like well, you need to take cold showers every morning. And there's some medical, like scientific things that back that up, yada, yada, yada. But for a lot of people, if that's the only thing that you're doing, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a very minor, like small thing that's just not going to help you get the results you want. And it's could make your life kind of miserable. Yeah, so like, like why? I, that would absolutely make my life Let's miserable. Let's not start there, yeah. you know? It comes back to like this 80-20 rule. Yeah. 80% of your results actually come from 20% of your effort. What's yep. the name of that? That is, um, it's a principle by, who is that? 80-20 rule, uh, the Pareto principle. It basically states that, and a lot of this came from research for like business and corporations, like 80% of the uh output was normally generated by 20% of the input or, you know, a very small few inputs were responsible, you know? Yeah. Uh, And this is true in our workplaces a lot of the time, but it's also true in a lot of other areas as well. It's easy to fall into a new trend because, oh, everybody's doing low fat or nope, nope, everybody's doing uh, low carb or nope, nope, everybody's doing carnivore or everybody's doing uh, vegetarian. Well, even supplements, right? Yeah, totally. Like, oh, 
everybody says I should be taking this supplement to improve my whatever. And it's and like, the, and the okay, maybe, in, but are you doing the other 80, the basic 20 level yes. things? Yeah. yeah. And the same is true in, in finance, which is kind of weird. You know, what really got us thinking about this episode is that in finance, you can find these trends of everybody saying like, oh, you need to pay off this first, then this, da, 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 da. And then other people be like, well, actually, and then all of a sudden it'll swing the other way. And everybody will be saying, oh, no, you need to be doing this with your money. And then you'll see a whole slew of articles about that. And it's easy to get caught up thinking that you need to do this latest tiny little optimization without fully thinking through whether or not the trade-off that you're going to have to make to do that is worth it. We felt like this was an important conversation to have on here because it's very easy to feel pressured into doing whatever the trendy thing is, whether it's in personal finance or health or whatever. Um, And instead, you know, we want to challenge you to analyze purchases and and major financial decisions to see like what the actual impact on your quality of life is and if the trade-offs are worth it for you. Um, So, you know, taking out what other people say is worth it or what other people say you should be doing and really diving into those decisions for yourself. 100%. Yeah, so what I wanted to do is kind of give an example of this. And and I wanted to start with the most famous example in personal finance, which is uh, the the latte factor. And if, if you Google latte factor, it's, it's ridiculous how many articles out there are on this. I mean, David Bach has a whole book called The Latte Factor. Well, and am I making this up? Or a few years ago, did Dave Ramsey like have a big controversial thing because he hated on avocado toast or something that, and like yes so there was another thing that yes the avocado toast thing was like it had a moment two or three years ago and basically there were a couple of articles that came out Dave Ramsey may have said something I'm not sure but there were a couple articles there was one particular one from like Morningstar or Forbes or something that said uh, I think the title was the reason millennials can't buy houses is because they eat too much avocado toast or something like that. <laughs> and it doesn't take into account any factors like student loan debt being at all time highs, uh, wages not keeping pace with inflation, uh, and all kinds of other issues that would cause this generation to not be able to buy a house on the same timeline as previous generations. Instead, they blame it on the avocado toast. Well, and I I think that probably whoever said this, I think it might have been like an Australian real estate guy. Yes, I think that's not I think probably he's speaking in hyperbole here, you know. I hope so. I'm sure he probably (laughs) is. There's, there's probably some truth, right? In, in a lot of things, there's some truth to the fact that maybe there's lots of people that aren't able to afford a house because they are spending too much money on little bitty luxuries that do add up, and that's why they're not able to save. But let's not dismiss the fact that there's all these other bigger things in place that if you're not getting the big things in place and you're overextending yourself there, cutting out the, the yeah, avocado Yeah, they probably toast. can't afford a house because they're paying... $700 for a car payment every month or right. something yeah. like, yeah. So, so going back to like the, the latte factor, there, there's all these examples and, and I, I built my own little spreadsheet to sort of, of course you, you know, play, play with this, but there's all these examples where what they do is they say, Hey, look, let's assume a certain, uh, interest rate or growth rate over the course of 30 years. And let's say that you cut uh, daily latte, and let's pretend that it's $4. And let's say that you're drinking uh, $4 coffee, and you're doing it every single day, 30 days a month. That's $1,400 a year. And if you 
invested that money instead, assuming 7% interest and 2.5% inflation based on historical averages, then that's $91,000 over the course of 30 years. So look at that. You could have nearly a hundred grand if you just cut your daily latte. And that's that's what made the latte factor sort of famous, is it's saying the reason you can't retire and the reason you can't do all these things is because you're drinking too much daily latte. To me, I think the more interesting conversation is how how this highlights just how important conscious spending is. And um, you know, going back to book club, like Ramit Sethi is is huge on this, like not being cheap but being conscious of how you are spending your money. So going back to Nick's spreadsheet, another thing that we kind of plugged in to look at is one of my new hobbies since we've moved here is pottery. We've got this great pottery studio that's walking distance from our house and you can become a member there where you have 24 seven access. You get to use all the, you know, the wheels and all the tools that are there and all the things. And um, it's $135 a month. What's interesting is that comes out to if we invested that money for the next 30 years, a little over $102,000, which is a lot of money. But it's not that much more than the 91000 for daily coffee. Totally. So again, here here's where, yeah, daily coffee is not worth it to me. Pottery is worth it to me. And so that's, so that's where it gets really interesting to me. It's like when you're, when you're dialing in and really thinking about how you spend your money and and the impacts of it. There's also this this idea of like having small luxuries less often, right? Because to the point of your daily latte versus weekly, and we kind of went back and forth on we, whether or not to even talk about this, but I think we can mention it a little bit, which is if you're drinking daily coffee at $4 a day versus if you have one really fun outing to get coffee once a week at $4 a week, that makes a big difference. Over the course of 30 years, you're talking about $91,000 versus $12,000 yeah. uh, for the weekly coffee. And so that's a 80 grand, essentially, savings yeah. over the 30 years. And you still, you're not cutting it completely. You're just shifting the amount of times that you're doing it. Do you need to give a little more context for this spreadsheet for like how you, how you came up with these numbers? Yeah. So I, I mean, and we can even, I can even leave a link down in the, uh, in the, the show note description, if you're interested and want to play around with it. But there's a formula uh, in Excel or uh, Google Sheets that is a future value formula. This is like economics 101. I won't nerd out too much on the podcast about this, but it has to do with how you calculate future value of an investment uh, versus present value. And if you do a Excel function called equals FV, and then you plug in the current value, the current amount that you're doing, the number of times that you're doing it, in this case, we're doing it monthly, and then the uh, percentage return you're going to get over the course of a year, and then you subtract out inflation, and then you put in the number of years, it spits out how much that would have been worth had you invested the money instead. So what we've looked at with the spreadsheet is a couple different habits, daily coffee at $4 a day, weekly coffee at $4 a week, um, take out weekly pottery, and then we were playing around with a couple other ones. But essentially, we're just plugging those in, seeing how much they cost us per year, and then if that invested money, what what would that be over 30 years? The thing that I liked about what you're saying with pottery and, and going back to the avocado toast thing and the millennials is most people are not optimizing the 80-20, right? And so the, the Pareto principle of the 20%, so they might be cutting out the daily coffee, but to your point, if you're overextending yourself 
on a huge car payment, for example, then that's going to crush anything that you could be doing with your coffee. So yeah. if we compare, for example, like you say, you know what, I'm getting Starbucks weekly. And that's just, you know, I, I watched some video that said coffee is going to, you know, corrupt my retirement. So I need to cut it out. So they cut their weekly coffee. Great. That just saved yourself $12,000 in 30 years. But if you have a 650 car payment, $650 a month on a car payment because you got some really nice car that you're super pumped with, and even when you pay it off, you then up it again like a lot of Americans do, yeah. and then you continue with a $650 a month car payment for 30 years, if you had invested that money, it's half a million dollars in 30 years. So you know what a lot of people do is they'll cut the coffee, but then they'll go do something like that. Which is like, great, you save $12,000, but you're going to spend half a mil on cars. Yeah. Does that and really make sense? The problem is, the problem is that people make themselves miserable, yes. too. So you see this a lot in budget coaching, like especially with people who live in high cost of living areas, like they have really stripped down a lot of stuff in their life to the point where they're like, I like, I never do anything. And yep. I, I still, I don't go out. I don't, I don't have any this, money. I and I feel like I'm not making progress towards these things that I want to make progress towards. And it's like, yeah, because your, your housing and everything, your parking and all of these things are so expensive. It's, it's the structural part of their life. Yeah. Like the, so you've either got to start making way more money or you've got to start changing these big pieces of your life. Yeah. Which is hard to do. Yeah. It is tough because. How miserable are you with all of this stuff cut out? Like, is it really worth it to you to live here when you're not going to be able to do any of these other things without going into significant debt? Um, so I don't, I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough conversation to it have. Is. It is. And, you know, obviously the younger you are, the easier it is to have this conversation because the less probably rooted and like literally putting down roots you have, uh, whereas the longer that you've been in one location or working one job, the harder it can be to, you know, up in those roots and make a change. But since kind of the purpose of this episode is, is about not getting tripped up on these small little optimizations without making sure you've gotten the big optimizations done first, uh, let's talk about what those big op optimizations are. If we go back to our health example at the very beginning, the whole idea of cutting coffee because of its unhealthiness and you're going to drink green tea instead, if if that's what you're doing to be healthy, but you're not optimizing your sleep, your exercise, and just basic avoidance of really crappy food, right? Well, and when you say optimizing sleep too, I mean, if you're just not trying to yeah. not watch Netflix at not 2 in the Netflix morning. Not watch Netflix at 2 you know? in the morning, right? Like go and try to get a decent 7 or 8 hours of sleep. Make sure you're moving and getting some basic levels of exercise in and like not eating pizza and ice cream all the time. If if you're if you're doing those things, okay, now fine, maybe we can talk about taking it to the next level if you're still not happy with where you're at health-wise. But if you're not doing those things and you're talking about cutting coffee because of the health that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're probably just going to make yourself miserable and not see a lot of results. Right. And so coming into finance, it's the same way. The big things that you got to take care of first are your housing, renting or buying, whatever it is, making sure you're not overextending yourself monthly on your housing. The cars that you drive, those are the other big ones, especially in Western culture, because we're such a, a car, just the way our culture is laid out, the way our cities are laid out. Your education, making sure that you don't totally overextend yourself in your education. And then uh, fourth would be your medical. 
So housing, cars, education, medical on the spending side, you got to make sure that you're not overextending yourself on those or at least trying to minimize them as much as you can. And then the fifth thing in your finances is on the income side, which is simply just your income, making sure that you're trying to increase your income as much as possible. If you can take care of those big spending ones while also trying to increase your income, that's going to be your 20% that's going to get you 80% of the financial results that you want. What we're talking about is reminiscent of the phrase, like, don't trip over dollars to pick up pennies, right? Yeah, which reminds me of like me literally counting pennies like we talked about on a few episodes back, right? Of, of okay, Nick, uh, you know, the optimization you're trying to do there um, and it's probably um, the very tail end. That's the extra yeah. 1%, 1% that might do something with your finances. Whereas you really, at that point in my life, I should have been focused on actually just making more money because I wasn't making very much money and counting pennies was not how I should have been spending <laughs> my time. What's a valuable use of my time? <laughs> Oh, God. But to that point, you know, if, if for most people, if you spent 10 hours, you know, Googling, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts on how to perfect your resume, how to negotiate a salary, how to land a good job interview, if you could spend 10, 15, 20 hours researching that and like really honing that skill set so that you can change jobs and get a 10, 15, 20% income bump. That would do way more for your long-term wealth than cutting out a day to latte. Yeah. Um, this makes me think, I, this maybe is a little bit of a tangent. I don't know. There's a school close to our house, and they have, like, you know, the a sign with, like, scrolling stuff on it. Yes. And so one of the things that they had on it for a long time was, like, don't forget, read 20 minutes a day with your student for to achieve whatever thing. And... um. We kept walking by it, and I remember looking at it and going like, isn't it interesting to think about the fact that if you sit down and read with your kids just for 20 minutes a day, you're probably in like the top 90% of reading. Yeah. You know, and you're like, you're probably putting your kids in the top 90% of reading. Yep. And with just that little, little little bit of effort. Yep. And I think that's really interesting. And I I just wanted to point it out here because you talk about, you know, spending 10 hours, say 10 hours a week to develop a new skill or to research a new job or, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, Or let's knock it down from that. Just say 30 minutes a day. 30 minutes a day. Well, and, and oftentimes some of these things you can just do on a chunk that will pay dividends for life. Like if you've been, if you work in corporate America and you've been at the same company for more than five to 10 years, and you haven't gotten a significant promotion or a pay increase, you've just been sort of getting the yearly, annual, inflation-adjusted, whatever that they give you, you probably have a real opportunity to research a little bit on, you know, cleaning up that resume a bit and um, honing your interviewing skills. Spend 10 to 20 hours one time, like just one weekend, learning some of this stuff just to give yourself that a little extra edge and go and change companies and get a 10, 20, 25% pay increase. This is what uh, Steve from Think, Save, Retire yeah. um, did. He talked about how, and some people, I guess, find this controversial, but he basically pointed out and said, he Steve retired at like 30-something years old. Um, and one of the biggest things that he attributes to his ability to retire at that age was the fact that he changed jobs, companies, every two to three years. And every two to three years, he would literally like, get that resume polished up 
and, you know, go job shop. That's such because an interesting Because every strategy. single time he would get a 10 or 15% pay bump. And so do that like for every two to three years and 10 to 12 years down the road, you're making some significant money compared to what you were making beforehand. So if you're in corporate America, uh, especially like a white collar job, that is something that you really need to be looking at, especially these days with work from home. There's so many companies and so many opportunities that you could even potentially get a new job with more money without even having to move, which would be huge. So that's one of those don't definitely don't trip over dollars to pick up pennies. Like make sure you're optimizing that income first before you start worrying about cutting out your weekly latte. Yeah. And don't get caught up in like feeling overwhelmed. Um, like, oh, I'd have to do so much work to be able to do that or, you know, whatever. Cause if you, if you really break it down, like we said, you can achieve a lot with dedicating 30 minutes a day. Totally. And, yep. um, so just, just reminding yourself of that. Talking about, um, you know, that book earlier, Ramit, I wanted to read, um, cause we talk a lot about conscious spending and, uh, and Ramit actually is where I learned that phrase, um, conscious spending from. And in his book, he has this chart that I love um, that's cheap people versus conscious spenders. I think people probably that don't know us very well probably think that we are cheap. Totally. Because you talk about like personal finance and budgeting. Well, they and just assume that. They when they hear like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I talk about money. They assume you're cheap. Yeah, but I, I don't feel like we're cheap at all. We spend big on things that matter to us. Mm-hmm. We just cut things that don't. But we're not cheap overall i get i get um i don't know not angry but i definitely get like a little bit tense when i feel like someone thinks that i'm cheap because i do get offended by it because i'm like i'm not at all well and you don't have to look very far in our life to realize that we're not cheap like no. when we do house projects like we, we don't money. do them cheaply and that's why no. they take us a long time yes. <laughs> like because we we want to do it well and we want to do it the way that we like it and that's not cheap not cheap <laughs> well i mean just look at our pets you know the oh, pet food the that we buy is ridiculous yeah anyways so uh, Ramit's got this this chart where he, he kind of compares cheap people versus conscious spenders, and I'll, I'll just read a couple of them because I liked it. But the cheap on the cheap side, it says cheap people care about the cost of something, conscious spenders care about the value of something. Cheap people try to get the lowest price on everything. Conscious spenders try to get the lowest price on most things, but are willing to spend extravagantly on items they really care about. Cheap people's cheapness affects those around them. Conscious spenders' frugality affects only them. I like that one a lot because um, I think like a lot of the times cheap people, you can associate that with like usury. You know what I mean? Yes. Where you're like, you're trying to take advantage of somebody else yes. and sort of mooch off them. That is not at all what we do or what conscious spending Or what is we about. encourage anybody else to <laughs> no, do. Not yeah. at all. Uh, cheap people are inconsiderate. For example, when getting a meal with other people, if their food costs seven ninety five, they'll put in $8 knowing very well that the tax and tip mean it's closer to 11 Conscious spenders know that they have to pick and choose where they spend their money. If they can only spend $10 on lunch, they'll order water instead of iced tea. Yeah. And I I like that example, too, because, again, it it goes back to just valuing and going, I really value getting lunch, but I really need to keep it at $10. So I'm going to make the trade off and get water, but I'm still going to go. Mm hmm. And I'm still going to pay all of my, my share. Fair, my fair I'm share. I'm not going to be yes. skimping on my fair share. Totally. Cheap people make you uncomfortable because of the way they treat others. 
conscious spenders make you feel uncomfortable because you realize you could be doing better with your money. I love her, mate. He's so uh, funny. Cheap people keep, running a, keep a running tally of how much their friends, family, and coworkers owe them. Some conscious spenders do this, but certainly not all. All right, almost done. Because of the fear of even one person suggesting they spent too much on something, cheap people are not always honest about what they spend. Neither are conscious spenders, she says. Everybody lies about their spending. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> we all have that in common. We all struggle with that. Uh, no, but okay, on, on a more serious one, he says, cheap people are unreasonable and cannot understand why they can't get something for free. Sometimes this is an act, but it's sometimes not. Conscious spenders will try as hard as cheap people to get a deal, but they understand that it's a dance, and in the end, they know that they don't intrinsically deserve special treatment. And again, it just goes back to, like, they're willing to spend on things that they really value. Cheap people think short-term. Conscious spenders think long-term. That's the last one. I really, I like the whole, like, value thing, too, like, thinking about the value instead of the cost. Yeah. Because going back to, like, the pottery example and the coffee example. So, to me, the value in coffee is if you and I make an event out of it. Yes. Um, so if we go walk to the coffee shop, get a coffee, and enjoy walking around town while drinking our coffee and like having a conversation, that that's valuable. That's $4 adding value. Well spent. Yes. If we, if I by myself in the car drive through and get a five dollar latte by myself, that's not adding a lot of value. It's to not my an life. experience. Yeah. No. Um, and, you know, pottery, on the other hand, it it's helping me develop a skill and it's like this hobby and it's new friends and it's all of these things. So it's adding a lot of value. So I just I just like thinking about it that way. And again, going back to like, that's what kills me about the spreadsheet. So let's let's go back to my spreadsheet and do one one last big example, because I do think housing is like such a huge one. Right. So we'll do housing. I'm going to type that in. And instead of doing a total housing cost, what I'm going to do is. Um, lowering your housing costs by 500 bucks a month. So the assumption here is if you're spending 500 bucks extra per month than you otherwise could be because you live in a really expensive area or so what you you're saying is yourself. your cost, your overall cost is is superfluous in this example. That's you're right. just saying it could be 1500 versus 1000. If you cut it could down, could be 5000 yeah. versus 5500. Yeah. I don't care what it is. I'm saying monthly if you've overextended yourself by $500 a month more than what you really could have or should have, that's $380,000 over the 30-year period at the investment rate. Yeah. Right? Same thing for income. If you can negotiate a pay raise of 500 bucks a month extra, $6,000 a year, and you invested all of that pay raise, that's $380,000 at the end of 30 years. And so that's what I'm saying is I get really, where I get like frustrated and what I'm trying to like point out is don't optimize the tiny little bitty habits if you're overextending yourself on your housing yeah. and also not optimizing how much money you could be making. Yeah, well, it's just so easy. Uh, there's a lot of quote-unquote big rocks in, in your finances, and it's really easy to go just a little bit overboard in all of them. Yep. So, you know, housing, cars, private school for kids, paying for college for kids, like kind of not trying to hate on kids here, but you kids know, there's, expensive. Yeah. there's just all of these things totally. that can really make a huge impact. And, and private school for your kids or a certain house that you live in or college for your kids might be one of your top priorities and it values. Might be. And if it is fantastic, make sure that you work that in. But a lot of, but people, that means you might have to 
sacrifice elsewhere to make that happen. Yes. And a lot of people treat those things as non-negotiables purely because of what other people will think about them if they don't. Bingo. And and I think that's where you start playing a really dangerous game. And that's where you start making sacrifices that you're really going to regret yep. in the future. Yeah. To, to wrap up that, that conversation on values, you know, as always, uh, we're not encouraging you to go and buy the daily latte. We're also not encouraging you to cut it out completely. We're not encouraging you to put your kids through private school or to not put your kids through private school. What we're trying to get you to do is not really pay attention to trends or what your friends and family are doing or whatever, but instead try as hard as possible to objectively rank your values and priorities and consciously choose the things that are most important to you and spend big on those. Take care of your big rocks first. Then if you want to go crazy hardcore and you want to start optimizing all the little stuff, that's fine. But don't get caught up in the weeds optimizing the little stuff without taking care of the big stuff first. It really just does come down to what you like and making sure that you get those big rocks in that you actually like. And uh, you know what else we like? What do we like? Stuff we like. All right, Hannah, what are you liking this week? I really like old school Conan O'Brien. Um, like I, I thought his old shows were really funny. I have not been as big of a fan of his like newer late night shows. And to be fair, it's been years since I've watched them at this point, but he has a podcast that I just stumbled upon and I really like it because you, you get his humor, which I think he's really funny. But the reason I didn't like some of the, the last shows of his that I watched is because it's just so truncated, you know? Yeah. It's so short. All that, t- all the TV stuff is like you get like a two minute interview yeah. with a guest or something. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, most of it is like so scripted and so whatever. And so, listening to him in podcast form, most of the episodes are around an hour, and it, he's just fun to listen to. He just cracks me up because he does these kind of absurd scenarios, and you know, that's kind of if you know Conan O'Brien, you know that his humor is kind of absurd, and um. So it's fun listening to him talk to other people that I like, like Melissa McCarthy. Um, and in particular, I wanted to mention that episode because they t- they started talking about Melissa McCarthy talked about how when she sees somebody like when she sees the lady out who's, you know, dressed in all bright purple and whatever. And other people think she's kind of crazy. Like, oh, my gosh, why would you ever wear that outfit that makes you look like a grape or, you know, whatever? Um, Melissa McCarthy was like, I love I love when I see people like that. When when you see people and they're like, they went into the store and they liked that purple outfit. And so they bought it. They didn't care that other people wouldn't like it. They they bought it anyways. And so she was just talking about how much she loves seeing people who just embrace like who they are and the things that they like and, you know, whatever, without worrying about other people's opinions so much. And I think that kind of ties back into when when you're analyzing your spending and really coming at it from this point of like, it is so hard not to care what other people think about you and what people in your social circle are going to think if you start changing the way that you're using your money, but you just shouldn't care. And I know that's so hard to do. I really struggle with that. Um, And so I I always, you know, we do this on a regular basis. We talk about this and whatever, but I just like taking as many opportunities as we can to like remind people that it's okay to be different and it's okay if people think you're weird and it's okay if people don't understand why you want to consciously spend your money. And, um, And it's okay if people 
make comments about you, make comments to you, make comments to you that clearly make it um, clear that they talk negatively about you other ways. Like, it's anytime you're different, it's going to make people a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And to go back to Ramit's book, like he talks a lot about that. I think that's another reason that I really like Ramit. But that is just such an important conversation to have because finances in particular are this like very um, sensitive, charged topic. And anytime you start doing things differently, like even, even when, and I think it takes people off guard a lot of times, like, oh, I'm, I'm making this positive change in my life where I want to really take control of my finances and not live more extravagantly than I can afford. And I don't want to be in debt and all this stuff. Um, and you assume like, oh, other people will be happy for me that I'm doing these things to improve my life. And it's like some, some people, yes, yes. some people will, but other people will be snarky. And so it's just important to know that, like going into it and and to just let it roll off your back. Yep. Do you want to summarize this for us? Yeah. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the summary is when it comes to your finances, you, you need to practice the 80-20 rule. So that means don't focus on little bitty, tiny cuts. Don't say, I'm spending way too much money on this Netflix subscription. It's 14 bucks a month. Fine. If it's not on your value and you want to cut it, Great. But you've got to focus on the big rocks first. You've got to focus on the big stuff. And so for finance, that's going to be your housing. It's going to be your cars. It's going to be your education and or your kids' education. And it's going to be your medical costs. That's your spending. And then you got to try and increase that income. Get those things figured out first. Then if you want to try to continue to further optimize your finances, great. But don't further optimize your finances and overextend yourself in these big places and think that you're doing something that's really helping. Because ultimately, I think you're going to find down the road that you're hurting more than helping. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope you join the Mapped Out Money Book Club. If that sounds like something interesting to you, again, we're going to be meeting on Tuesday, December 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Go to mappedoutmoney.com forward slash book club, and we'll see you next week.